everyone. Welcome back to another episode of A Theory of Enchantment. I'm your host, Chloe Valdry. In this episode, we'll be interviewing Deb Mashek, who is the president of Heterodox Academy, an incredible nonprofit organization that attempts to bring back open inquiry and other important values into the classroom, specifically in the university. We talked about how different things contribute to polarization and other negative aspects in the university, as well as steps, ideas, themes, and principles that professors and others can actually incorporate into the classroom to bring about a much more positive mutual exchange between students who come from different backgrounds and who may have different opinions. I think you'll really enjoy this. Uh, I really had a great time at this uh, conference. I got to spend some time with a really uh, plethora of really cool folks like uh, Jonathan Haidt and Steven Pinker, if you're familiar with his work. So check out the interview. And as always, I hope you enjoy. So how do we start this? So you, you probably want to know a little bit about me. Yeah, I'm curious about <laughs> who I am. your interest and where you're coming from. Yeah, so I, um, I'm 25 years old. I graduated from school four years ago. And I have a, a new startup called Theory of Enchantment, um, which also happens to be the name of this podcast. <laughs> nice alignment. <laughs> and Theory of Enchantment came out of uh, my eight years of working in a nonprofit space, really trying to help Jewish students navigate the minefield of prejudice on college campuses. And um, I had this realization as I was trying to help them navigate that, that on campus students are equipped often with a vocabulary that teaches them how to combat prejudice, but not actually how to love, mm. which is a skill set and requires practice on a daily basis. Um, and so in order to fill that gap, I decided to create uh, an educational curriculum that essentially is, is rooted in mental health and resilience training. But the, the end of that course um, is the end effect is that the student actually learns how to love both him, him or herself and the and the other um, so that's the gist of what I do uh, and it's a six-month-old startup so very newbie how's it going <laughs> it's going well um, I, I'm in this space where it's just like you 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 both have imposter syndrome and you also think that it's definitely gonna be like the most successful thing yeah. ever. <laughs> and you have like both of those things happening simultaneously, both of those emotions. And you also have to navigate like, just like learning that it's a very slow moving thing. So getting used to the pace, the different pace in your life yeah. is a challenge, but it's a good challenge. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. Well, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> both important and inspiring. Thank and you. I love the frames that you've already offered about awesome about loving and it's not just um an intrapersonal thing but yeah. how interpersonal that is and how you need to operate on both of those levels absolutely so i would love to that being said talk to you about <laughs> um you know how like your story and how yeah. you came to heterodox academy and tell us a little bit about heterodox and but just more importantly your origin story and how you yeah. came to be here yeah so my origin story um for heterodox academy so the election, mm -hmm. U.S. election happened. Donald Trump was elected president, yes. and my campus melted down. Mm. Um, and I, I understood it. I was also very distraught. But what struck me was that people were, you know, were saying things like, "I can't possibly understand how anybody 
would have voted for that guy. Yeah. Um, and I, it just so happened that I needed to submit my list of courses for okay. the next semester. Something was like the next week. And so I decided then and there that I would teach a course called I'm Right, You're Wrong. Okay. And it was going to be on a first year writing seminar. Um, and we read Thomas Lowell's Conflict of Visions and Jonathan Haidt's The Righteous Mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was preparing for this class and the whole impetus was, is there something I can do in my classroom to increase that sense of empathy and mm-hmm. curiosity for the other? Yeah. Um, of being in both an intellectual space, but also a feeling space right. of saying there might, not saying I'm going to go change my mind about everything, but can I can I try to understand, right. um, seek first to understand them to be understood sort of thing. Um, so the the course description went out and one of my seniors approached me and said, hey, Prof Mashek, I'm so excited to take your class. And I said, well, problem. Um, <laughs> it's a first year writing seminar. You're not going to be able to. And uh-huh. love him. He said, but um, you'll do it as an independent study with me then, right? <laughs> and of course I said, yes. Um, <laughs> So it was in one of my one-on-one planning sessions with him for his independent study that he told me about this group, Heterodox Academy. Um, and he said, this would be totally be in line, Prof. Mashik, with what you believe and mm-hmm. how you're thinking about this course and these conversations we're having. So I looked at their website mm-hmm. and right away signed up. I was yeah. like, yeah, this totally makes sense. <laughs> um, and when you sign up, you become you know, you're a recipient of yeah. various you know emails and whatnot, including a newsletter. And um, I think it was in that July that I was sitting on the beach in Costa Rica and I had my damn cell phone in my hand and an email pops up from Jonathan Haidt. So yeah, I'm going to read that right away. (laughs) And he was saying that the organization was going to hire an executive director and I swear to God, the sea started to sparkle more. The sun got brighter <laughs> as I'm reading. This is an absolutely moment. Yeah. It was one of those where I'm like, I, I need to, I need to do this or yeah. at least apply for it. And it was really within 30 seconds of reading the ad. I said, I, this is something wow. I would like to throw my spirit behind. Um, applied, got the gig, moved up to New York. Wow. I'm from Southern California. I've been out here a year. Okay. Um, How's it been? It's, you know, it's been a tough transition because yeah. it's not just a geographic transition. Okay. It's transitioning from higher ed where yeah. I have been my entire adult life, either as a student or as a professor. And um, so transitioning from higher ed to a nonprofit, transitioning oh, right. from, you know, I run my classes, I do my research, I right. do service work, love it, to, oh my gosh, I'm responsible for a budget and a staff yeah. and programmatic and operational and um, strategic vision sorts of things. Yeah. And so it feels like it's been um, just an incredible year of growth, mm-hmm. both personally and professionally and challenge and opportunities and new relationships and, you know, giving up old relationships. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's been thrilling and, and big mm-hmm. and perhaps the scariest thing I've ever done yeah. and the most rewarding. So That's awesome. when you were talking about you know, balancing between imposter syndrome, but right. also be like, this is the most rockin'est yeah. thing. <laughs> it's going to be the best thing ever. I can totally relate to yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, I, I felt that when you were describing the transition and yeah. the difference between the two. Um, I'm very curious when you were in your, uh, when you were in the classroom, what did you learn in terms of what was uh, effective in getting students to learn how to encounter the other and be empathetic with the other? Uh, I think, so I, I like to think of it as what are the habits of heart and okay. mind. Okay. And 
and giving, first of all, giving that vocabulary, um, emphasizing that it's not easy, that we, you know, by our nature are not just tribalistic, but mm-hmm. things that are different um, in some ways are, are very intriguing and we're drawn to them, mm-hmm. but sometimes they can become so unfamiliar as to become scary or daunting. Right. Um, so first of all, just honoring the fact that it, it's hard mm-hmm. and then um, honoring the fact that you, you don't have to jump all the way into the deep end. There okay. are baby steps yeah. by like, <laughs> saying hi to someone <laughs> that you haven't met before or asking a question. Um, one of my favorite questions you know, that I offer the students and that I um, actually write in my notebooks all the time is remember to ask, how do you see it? Yeah. And it, it's so simple. And all you're doing is inviting in. You're yeah. saying like, hey, I, I'm not assuming that we see this the same way. I'm not assuming I have the one right perspective or the one right answer. Right. Um, and so the students like that, the other thing we would do is like I would try to have little warm-up exercises okay. at the beginning That's of cool. class. And one of them we did, I love this, was what is a word or phrase you can drop into conversation that would signal intellectual humility? Oh. And so we all wrote down you know, little <laughs> ideas on a slip of paper and then went around the room. And it, the students came up with great things yeah. like um, – I haven't thought as deeply about this as I would like to, but yeah. my first impression is blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. Or, um, y- you know, a piece of inform or something I read about on the internet the other day was this, and I'm wondering this. And yeah. it, it was just really cool to see, you know, if we're intentional about it and slow our, our thoughts down enough, right. we can find ways of, of signaling, um, signaling these ideas. And then, by training, I'm a close relationships researcher. So, okay. Oh, um, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I, I study, you know, what, how do we form relationships with each other? And one of the, from that field, one of the things we know is that reciprocal self-disclosure that mm-hmm. escalates in intimacy um, is one of the ways we establish closeness. Oh, that's interesting. It, it's really cool. So there's um, this, you know, this thing we call the experimental generation of closeness where it's just a set of questions it's 30 questions that get increasingly personal okay and uh, my students and I we would do this as a classroom activity it takes about an hour okay um but do it early in the semester so that they get to know somebody else in a in a very real way right um and that that sense of personal connection bridge building is one of the the things that seems to open the door for some of the risk-taking right. on the intellectual side. Okay. So to then be able to say, um, you know, I, I do see it differently, or I have a question about that, or I feel a little uneasy about asking this, but mm-hmm. I trust you. I know you're not going to be posting this right. <laughs> on your social feed or anything, yeah. so let me ask it. And, uh, yeah. And is that exor- does that exercise take place sort of in pairs, in groups of pairs? Yeah, so we've done it um, – I, I typically do it in pairs and just okay. offer them little card decks that ha- okay. has it all laid out. That's very cool. Yeah. There's a, a card game that I saw actually through TED Talk. Um, and I forgot the name of the card game, of course, in this moment. But essentially the idea, uh, oh, it's called Big Talk. Are you familiar with this? I haven't seen this one. So it's basically the idea is, is that instead of having small talk with strangers, you're going to have big talk. Like and and the first questions you ask a stranger will not be about the weather, they will be about existential matters. How do you think you're gonna die? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that by getting to the heart of the matter in that way, it's actually very, it's arguably very terrifying to do that. <laughs> first of all, because it's a stranger, so you're not necessarily in that in that classroom 
uh, guided experience, right? You're going up to people on the street and asking them this. So yeah. that's that's a level of vulnerability that you have to be willing to walk into. Um, but also it's an existential question that you have to think about yourself wrestling with. That you may not have thought about. <laughs> right. The, I, I got to say, I think I see the anonymity part as protective that mm. I th- I can tell you what I'm most fearful about because okay. I'm never going to see you again. I see. Um, and so what is it like? It kind of reminds me of two things. The postcard project. Did okay. you ever see this? No. Where people write in their, or post secret, people write in their secrets okay. and send them in anonymously and then they get posted. Okay. And the kinds of things people disclose oh. <laughs> are powerful. Right. Wow. Um, and then the other one is, have you heard of Free Intelligent Conversation? No. So it's an organization. They have these great little card decks of cards mm-hmm. and you hold you go into a public place and they'll do these meetups and everyone's that's holding cool. this great big sign that says free intelligent conversation that's it okay and total strangers will come up and be like what is this about <laughs> and you'll say i've got this deck of cards you want to pull one of these and we'll yeah. have a conversation and they're also you know very deep it's not just going to say what's right. your what kind of pizza do you like right um <laughs> but it's like what are your thoughts on something important that's happening right. in the world and and people have opinions and yeah. to just listen and then not react and not be judgy about it. Right. Is, it's a huge gift. Yeah. It's um I think it's a skill set that can be cultivated. I hope. I agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We're not doomed. Right. <laughs> um, speaking of that, do you think or, or what do you think of the effects or lack thereof of social media, the cell phone, perhaps more specifically social media, because I remember um, Jonathan Haidt said yesterday that they did a study that it wasn't necessarily screen time um, that it was showing deleterious effects, but specifically social media. Um, so what do you think is the potential impact of the interference that that can provide um, when trying to cultivate some of the values that we just spoke about? And how can we overcome some of those barriers? Yeah, so I... Um I'm not totally sure about the whole social media cell phone thing. I do okay. <laughs> when um, we're in conversation together. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be interacting with my phone. I right. think it's disruptive for you know for the moment we're sharing. Right. Um, that said, it's you know social media is also an amazing way to stay in connection right. with people. And so I think setting our intentions about how we're going to use it. So um, committing to share, you know, being vulnerable at points, mm-hmm. sharing that you've had a really crappy day you know with depends on who your followers are if they're actual friends or Mm -hmm. if it's like you know a popularity contest or something I think there are different intentions um and also being mindful like are you to what extent are you curating an image and I know all of us are I mean we're social creatures but trying to be as real as you can right I like for instance I object to filters in my own (laughs) Facebook feed um so just so I think it could be helpful there now I worry I'm so worried. I had a student, for instance, who shared last year that um, so really strong feminist, strong social justice activist, and she wanted to. She realized she's like, I don't understand really where my belief system comes from, like why I'm oriented so strongly here, and I wanna I wanna ask questions and I wanna interrogate mm-hmm. my own thought process, mm-hmm. which is super cool. Yeah, okay. I totally admire it. I think it's super cool. Um, but she was totally freaked out about the possibility of doing that live and in person um, with peers at the college um, because she thought you know even the mere question of asking where did my ideas come from Mm. she worried that it would be interpreted as her 
um, not really being committed to I those see. ideas. And so she was able to go through um, social media. Mm-hmm. Can we call Reddit social media? Does yeah. that count? Okay. <laughs> so she was able to, you know, set up a, an anonymous avatar um, persona on Reddit. And that's where she went and got the community that enabled her to go through these self-reflective questions mm-hmm. as a 20-year-old discovering, you know, figuring out herself and who she is and her place in the world and the role she wanted to play in making the world a better place. Yeah. Critically important questions that social media in this case enabled because the the physical world right. um, felt riskier. Right. I feel like there are tragic implications for that story in particular, like <laughs> the idea that the idea that we have this internal, I mean, we all have this internal sense of vulnerability in terms of in, in introducing ourselves to people in general, but now it seems like we live in a in an environment where it, if we feel uncomfortable with engaging our peers on topics um, that because we're afraid that they might condescend to us or look down on us it is a very is not a very good reading uh, for society in this moment. Um, and I'm really happy that social media exists so that it could fill that hole. Uh, but I wonder if, I wonder if the situation that we're in, in person, <laughs> can be rectified. Um, I also wonder, like, to what extent is it true that we should be guarded, uh, and to what extent is that a function of the story we're telling ourselves? Um, and I don't know the answer to this yeah. question. No, and I'll <laughs> I'll say I also find that story tragic, and mm-hmm. it speaks to at least for this person how precarious social connection mm. felt. And I, so again, coming from my, you know, my theoretical framework, right. <laughs> close relationships researcher, I think all of us want nothing more than to know and to be known right. in our deepest authentic selves. Right. And that to go through the world, for any of us to be moving through the world, that to think that there's something so objectionable yeah. about us or who we are or what we believe that somebody might totally just reject us for saying something and that it feels so tender and egg shelly it's not a healthy place um, for any of us to be in so if you could give that student some advice um again social media was a resource for her which is great but given what you just described what advice would you give her to sort of um i guess over try to overcome her fears of engaging people in person yeah i would for me, it goes back to, to trust and, okay. and first of all, finding, you know, finding the one or two other people in her physical network yeah. that she thinks are probably going to be okay right? and and baby stepping it again and, you know, sharing a disclosure, seeing if the other person, you know, reciprocates, right. um, asking a question, not necessarily making an assertion, but just asking some, I wonder, I wonder if questions and see how other people respond. Um in my life, I find that when I share vulnerability, mm-hmm. it's often returned in kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes you have to be the, the person to make that first move. Right. But I, I would suspect that she would be reinforced. There would be positive right. reinforcement right away um, of someone else saying, wow, thank you for, you know, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being real. You know what? I've been wondering the same sorts of things. Right. And then that's a moment of, it, to me, it's an invitation to explore together. So this actually goes back to my earlier question or I guess consideration um, of whether or not it's true or whether or not maybe it's true, but it's also a function of our of the story that we're telling ourselves in the sense that um, 
it sounds like what you're describing is the fact that if we behave in certain ways, that it other people can't help t- but to reciprocate it. It doesn't. It almost. It doesn't matter. It matters, but it matters less. The social media effects on our cognition and emotional capacity, at least at a certain age. Um, if we behave in a certain way, and if we sort of ask these questions in a certain way, it will elicit a response almost inevitably that is. Um, a reciprocal response. So in that sense, I think that that speaks that to the idea that it may be a function of what's going on um, in our brains. But I don't want to put too much weight on that because it could be. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I it's no also. Idea. I mean, one of the the pieces of counter evidence is that we do see people getting dragged through the mud right. for an idea. And I think we are largely empathic creatures mm-hmm. and to imagine ourselves going through that we can we can feel that pain right <laughs> um and, and want to protect ourselves from it so right it, so i think so that's real ways. too yeah. yeah that's fair so we're at the heterodox conference oh yeah um 2019 our second annual conference amazing what speakers are you in particular in particular excited about all of them. I, I knew you were going to say that. I know. But of course, I, yeah, I'm going to say that. But I'll say, um, so I I was really the, the person who put together the program, which okay. is an incredible, daunting opportunity. Yes. Um, but to say what really are, are the questions that as I look out into this landscape of the open inquiry movement, what are the things that I think a lot of us are struggling with and trying to understand? Mm-hmm. And so all of the panels um, are, you know, we intentionally picked the topics and the panelists to a, represent a range of perspectives, of course, yeah. um, but also to ask some of the toughest questions. So, for instance, the plenary panels, um, one of the first ones, actually it was the first one, I know that for a fact, um, interrogated the question of what's the relationship between viewpoint diversity and other important forms of diversity. Okay. So, you know, in some in some narratives, those two things are pitted as, oh, if you're for viewpoint diversity, you must be against other right. demographic diversities and right. inclusion and equity. And, and so the panel was able to, to look at that and unpack that and, and basically say, yeah, no, that's not at all um, right. the case. These are actually part and parcel. Right. Super important question. And so to, to give space to it and to um, spur some conversation around it, that's wonderful. And um, another super important question that comes up regularly is, and, and so we had a whole panel on this, is who decides which viewpoints make it into the academy? Mm. Um, and how are those decisions made? Mm-hmm. Um, and this is important because there's this other narrative out there that, oh, if you're for viewpoint diversity, you must think all viewpoints are equal and right. that <laughs> evidence doesn't matter. And again, this panel interrogated that and I was like, nah, I know quality of thought matters, right. mode of engagement matters. We're always whether it's um, you know, a professor deciding which uh, topics to cover in a course or which text to assign for each topic or a department trying to figure out which subdiscipline within a discipline to hire into a department. Mm-hmm. Um, we're always in the academy making decisions about who we allow or what ideas we allow in and who we al- right. allow in. So to, to make that more apparent um, and to offer it as a point of inquiry itself right. was cool. And then the other thing, um, the third panel w- that for the plenary was um, stresses, strains, and stories to inspire. Okay. And our, our idea here is that 
you know, there's a problem. A lot of people are talking about the problems, but let's hold up the models mm-hmm. who are doing really well. Let's show the, you know, make the pathways visible. Yeah. Um, there's so much good work going yeah. on out there. People finding ways of doing this hard work of advancing open inquiry and viewpoint diversity and constructive disagreement, um, trying to make those models visible and actually celebrate them so that um, people can organize uh, around the ideas and make a difference within their local context. That's awesome. I like how you've uh, pivoted from who's a favorite person to what are some of your favorite ideas that are being sort of discussed and um, interrogated. I'm sorry, I didn't do that intentionally. (laughs) I wasn't wasn't, like totally trying to sidestep the No, no, it's okay. (laughs) I I appreciate the pivot. I think it's, I think it's a, it's a good thing. Um, So, so think forward to um, Heterodox <laughs> Academy Conference 2020, what would you have hoped to achieve by a year from now? It's a great question. So this past year has been all about putting the organs in the organization and really um, creating the operational and mm-hmm. the strategic foundations for programmatic success. Okay. So the programmatic things we're working on, I, some of them, there's no way they're going to be, you know, well, we knocked that one out in 12 <laughs> months. High okay. five on that. But Fair. what I would like us to be able to say in a year is that we've made good progress on creating communities of practice, that we've figured out ways of connecting the dots mm-hmm. um, within a campus or within a region or within disciplines, mm-hmm. um, and that we've made good progress. So I recently did this um, listening tour with 22 college presidents, okay. and I asked them, um, what are you really up against? What is it like on the ground for you from an administrative perspective, but also what do you need from Heterodox Academy to do the work you want to do within your local context? Mm-hmm. And what I heard from them is that they want best practices, they want metrics to figure out what the heck is going on, okay. and they want they want interventions okay. that are actually validated that they could um, use and drop into their their local context. And we um, we're going to work on that. We're going to we've got. you know, a couple of metrics, we've got a couple interventions, but we want to start putting those metrics and interventions in conversation with each other um, to say, like, if if you're concerned about this, here's something you can do about it. Um, And and just helping make visible the best practices that really are out there because people are doing clever things. And so let's curate that and amplify it um, so that people are not so they're not reinventing the wheel, but so that they're also not left scratching their head and trying to figure out if there is a pathway forward, because right. there absolutely is. Um, this open inquiry thing, it's the cornerstone of the academy. This is why we exist for, for teaching, for learning, um, discovery, innovation, right. all that sort of thing. So it, um, I think it was Clinton's first inaugural address. He, he made a comment about there's nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by what's right with America. Mm-hmm. and we always think about that at Heterodox Academy, um, spinning it a little bit <laughs> in terms of there's nothing wrong with the academy that can't be fixed by what's right with the academy. That's so great, yeah. this is just about um, triggering that impulse to, to make right. That's awesome. I feel, like, I, I feel like I have no choice but to ask you what your thoughts are or would be on my curriculum now. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so... The curriculum is really, like I said, a, an attempt to teach people how to love, but rooted in mental health and resilience training. And the reason for that is my working theory is that people cannot actually navigate the complexity of the world if they don't know how to navigate their own. And that in and of itself requires a lot of courage to do so because you're, again, starting with that 
initial point which is the point of interrogating your the fact of your own mortality um which is a very courageous thing to do vulnerable thing to do mm-hmm. and many people in their 20s don't do it <laughs> many people <Right>? never do it <laughs> um and the 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 source text of the curriculum is actually pop culture so instead <laughs> yes exactly you if only you could see her facial you expression. can't see on the <laughs> on the podcast but i've got a ex- surprised expression <laughs> so the reason why it's pop culture um as opposed to a psych 101 textbook is the idea that i can actually figure out how to heal disconnection by bringing in things that i know already connect people for a fact and that text will be able to actually um enable people to to unpack their own lives um, and by doing so be able to be in relationship with someone else so instead of uh, a, you know an initial chapter from a psych book that can teach you p- perhaps radical empathy i will have uh, a kendrick lamar song in conversation with a Jordan Peterson lecture. And it actually turns out that they're both talking about the same things. Um, but you might not know that if you are only listening to them in isolation mm-hmm. from each other. And by having them be in conversation with each other, you are actually totally changing the nature of your experience of, of each of them. Um, so that's like the, I guess, the modality. Can I, can I ask, so the idea of having two texts in conversation with each other, will you... Um, let me ask it differently. How will you invite the the participants in mm-hmm. the curriculum to um, to start that conversation? So what do you mean? Like, so here's text A, here's text B, um, and will there like will you be asking prompts and questions? Or yes. We, yeah. Yeah. So so the idea is that like a, a general lesson is that you you re, you might you know um, like let's say the topic is radical empathy. Um, or yeah, radical empathy, and you're going to, uh, well, let me back up. The first topic is about actually knowing what it means to be a human being, which is very complex and deals with imperfection, right? And so you're going to study Kendrick Lamar's song, DNA, in which he specifically talks about his imperfections, and you're going to study a short clip from a Jordan Peterson lecture where he talks about um, tempering, being aware of one's imperfections and tempering the, the negative impulses. Mm-hmm. And after you read those in conversation with each other, you're going to be asked, what do you think? Um, you know, questions like, what does this, what feeling does this <laughs> conjure up in you? Yeah. Um, not only from these two uh, ostensibly unrelated figures being in conversation with each other, um, but also their ideas and how do you think this affects you and and can you think about your own imperfections and what might yeah. they be and can you articulate them? I was just thinking about that as the self is the third text in that yeah. conversation. Yeah. Um, so it's one thing to say, Kendrick Lamar and Jordan Peterson, let's have your right. text talk to each other and then to bring myself in and how, how are these ideas, how do you see yourself in them? Right. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah. I, that's really cool. So and is this something <laughs> that you imagine offering um, in classroom spaces or to student groups or one-on-one sort of so space? yes yeah, so currently there is an online curriculum so if individuals actually want to enroll in the program and do a sort of self-guided um, uh, teaching experience they can do that um, but I'm also going to be licensing it to trying to license it to high schools and not just high schools actually what I'm what I'm discovering is that if you root something in mental health you can actually it it, it 
applies to so many different things. So for high schools, it's like anti-cyberbullying, suicide prevention, um, and just general well-being. That's like one pitch, essentially. For mental health departments, a similar pitch. For for athletic directors, their athletes need mental health training, right? Um, and I can imagine actually developmentally yeah. earlier versions of this. Um, yeah. For elementary school kids. That'd be and great. Yeah. If you had any ideas on you that? You could just build this out. Um, <laughs> I don't great. know if you've bumped into the, the letgrow.org organization. I am familiar with it, yeah. Super cool. And also, yeah. you know, this notion that we can give children their childhood back yeah. by helping them build resiliency by giving them developmentally appropriate challenges and um, the kinds of, I hadn't thought before about how we can use ideas themselves as developmentally right. appropriate challenges. Right, yeah. But that's, uh, it, as you're talking, I'm thinking there's a connection there. Yeah. Um, and I'm even, you know, even, or perhaps not even, perhaps I shouldn't be surprised, but I've been approached to do, and I really love the fact that I've been approached to do this diversity and inclusion trainings through the lens of this curriculum, which is a very specific lens, right? Um, so I think it has the opportunity to to do incredible things. The most incredible opportunity that has actually fallen in my lap recently has been an organization that actually works to rehabilitate former extremists back into society. So I'm actually going to be initially working with a former member of the KKK and a former member of ISIS who was actually in Syria for a bit, um, who have sort of, they've made, you know, they've, they've, they've made amends and they want to sort of deprogram, be deprogrammed, and they will, this organization will be using my curriculum to do that, which is insane. <laughs> think, that is about. so intense. Yeah, that's so intense. And what an honor yeah. to get to be a part of that. Yeah. That's amazing. So if you have any tips or ideas, um, obviously we, we can't capture them on, on this podcast, but um, I'd love to Anytime. be in touch and, and talk it yeah. through. I love, uh, I mean, I, I miss the classroom. Yeah. So I miss this teaching part and how you think about developing yeah. um, curricula and how to engage people so yeah are you out. able to do a little bit of that in your position here theoretically okay. um <laughs> so it's theoretically available time wise i don't see it happening anytime soon okay uh fair enough um <laughs> <laughs> um so the last question i'll ask you is do you have any advice to students entering the academy who have just graduated from high school who are yeah. concerned with some of the things they've heard in the news and in the media and on Twitter about how the culture of the academic world may be? Yeah, so one piece of advice is be choosy um, about where you decide to go and, and research it and figure out, is there any evidence that this college has taken the, the steps necessary um, to, to create or to articulate the the philosophies, the policies, and the practices that would um, create spaces where open inquiry is encouraged. And last month, we published an article in Reason Magazine uh, highlighting 10 such okay. colleges and also offering a set of questions you can ask when you go on your college admissions tour, for yeah. instance. So take a look at that. Um, and and the, second, the second thing I would say is don't assume anybody's going to fix it for you. So okay. I am thinking about <laughs> Coleman Hughes was just on one of our panels. Mm -hmm. And and he had this great line. He's like, act as if nobody's coming to save you, which sounds like, <laughs> dun, 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 yeah. you know, fatalistic. But um, I love the idea of taking it into your own hands and right. being intentional about seeking out people who see the world differently than you do. 
um, going to stu- visit student clubs that you're like, I don't necessarily know that I mm-hmm. would find that interesting, but go, you know, go try it. Yeah. Um, engage with people who you think are different than you, just you know, based on whatever signals you're getting from the, right. the world. Um, and find, uh, the word will be out in terms of the professors who are welcoming to the big questions, the challenging questions. Um, find, those, find those professors, enroll in their classes, go to their office mm-hmm. hours, um, and then create your, create your heterodox community. I should also say there's this great organization called Bridge USA, okay. which is a chapter organization of students um, who are curate, not curating, but who are really encouraging conversations on their campuses, so you can go to their website, bridgeusa. I think it's org, um, and, and find out like what what schools um, have have those chapters, and, and perhaps seek those out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, for this is a pleasure. Chloe. Joining the Theory of yeah. Enchantment podcast, and good luck. Thank with you. Your project you it sounds too. amazing. So I want to follow it and awesome. wish you all the all the best. Thank you so much. Today's quote of the day comes from a Disney movie, and I'm sure you know this, called Aladdin. And the quote is as follows. Do not be fooled by its commonplace appearance. Like many other things, it is not what is on the outside, but what is on the inside that counts. That wraps up another episode of The Theory of Enchantment. I hope you got a lot out of it. As always, send me comments if you'd like. And give me feedback. And please, please, of course, share this, retweet it, like it on all of the various social media channels with your friends. And follow us, Theory of Enchantment. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thanks for listening and have a great week.